0: Come and go and I'm forever grateful. Come and tell me long and slow exactly
1: what I wait for. Better times, yeah, better times
0: somehow I don't believe it. I built a house up long ago just to and believe it.
1: Anyone who knows me or is a frequent listener to this podcast or fan outdoors in the twin cities knows that I cherish autumn days spent walking behind my short hairs in a forest the color of a bowl of fruity pebbles I've been saying that since I was third grade I love the visual that uh, elicits um I love rough grouse and woodcock hunting it's what first brought me to the uplands as a young youper in Escanaba Michigan and uh in just a matter of days, the uplands, the forest variety will be opening up in the Great Lakes states where pheasants forever and quail forever have so many members across Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, New York, all across the northern tier of our Great Lakes states. Um, and they're, they're going to be opening up their rough grouse season and Shortly after, in some states, woodcock season. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about both. So on today's episode of On the Wing Podcast, we're staying in the uplands, but we're heading into the woods. We're going to talk about rough grouse and woodcock hunting and give you a preview for this coming season. And who better to join us, making her return to On the Wing Podcast, Sam Tillman of the Rough Grouse Society. She's the engagement coordinator for Minnesota, Iowa, and Washington. That's yep. quite a spread. <laughs> it is quite a spread. <laughs> <laughs> and we have uh, making his uh, podcasting debut with us, Rich Wissink entering uh, 17 years. Entering or finishing 17 years? Uh- Going beyond that. Going, actually, I actually have 17 years behind me here. <laughs> 17 years in the books as a member of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's employee ranks. He's the vice president of conservation programs, a biologist, and, like me, a hardcore rough grouse and woodcock hunter. Uh, unlike me, he's a cheese head. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, True. So, uh, Sam, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. Sam, let's. Uh, you, you were on podcast probably nine months ago, uh, as we promoted the grouse trail special brand new feature at last year's National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. But for folks that maybe didn't listen to that particular episode, give us uh, your background and what you do for RGS.
0: Sure. <clears throat> so I live here in the Twin Cities. I'm originally from Northeast Iowa, so not I didn't grow up grouse and woodcock hunting. I grew up chasing deer, turkey, and pheasants primarily um transition to the the forest birds once i moved up here um my husband and i have three bird dogs a short hair a graffon and a poodle pointer
1: what do you think of that rich variety is the spice of life right a short hair a graffon and a poodle pointer
0: yeah it's kind of the best of of all the worlds there all the speeds um but for RGS, AWS, I work with all of our chapters on fundraising efforts and engagement with our members, um, things like that. And I work with our forester to convey any projects we're working on to our membership, so everybody stays kind of in the know of what we're working on here in, in the state.
1: Cool. Well, thank you for making the. What'd you say? It was an eight-minute trip over. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> pretty close to come over here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. I think I think it's wonderful illustration of our organizations working together you know whether it's National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic um, you know advocacy efforts whether it's in the state or a national level uh, it's just wonderful to have a partnership and friendship with organization like yours where you can pop on over and do a podcast together talking about birds and habitats so thank you very much for making the time Tim.
0: Yeah absolutely I'm happy to be here and happy to kind of partner with you guys on Spreading our mission along with yours.
1: Right on, right on. Um, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Four years in running. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> Thanks. It's about time you invited me. <laughs> <laughs> for folks that don't know you, um, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and what you do for the organization.
2: Yeah, I grew up on the shores of Lake Winnebago in Oshkosh, <laughs> Wisconsin. Um, pheasant hunting and fishing for walleyes and white bass as a kid. Um, it took till I was 16 to shoot my first rough grouse over a point of a Brittany um, in Washera County, and I can a take A Brittany? You... Yes. I didn't know that. Yes, grew up with Britneys all the way up until college when I fell in love with the long-tailed breeds. But uh, <laughs> um, started my career with Wisconsin DNR and worked primarily in the northern part, the forested region of of Wisconsin on forest game and non-game species. And then, as you mentioned, 17 years ago, came over to uh, Pheasant Forever and Quail Forever. Haven't looked back, but both enjoyed both of, of my careers, honestly. I've been really, really blessed that way. Um, still live in northwest Wisconsin. I have uh, two setters and an English pointer right now. <laughs> um, so we got the yeah. short-tailed, long-tailed yeah, dogs nice. going here.
1: We we got all, almost all of our bases. Yeah, we
2: do. Exactly. We just need a flusher. <laughs> <laughs> And here with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, as you mentioned again, um, Vice President of Conservation Programs, work with our programs team, who are really the keeper of the toolboxes for our our biologist team. Mm. We keep the tools in that box sharp and ready to go <laughs> to work, whether it's a, a habitat education program or a delivery program,
1: um, we keep that toolbox full. Cool. Um, you mentioned you live in western Wisconsin. Um, you, you have to have the longest commute of anybody in, in the Because you come most, maybe not every day, but a lot of days to the office. A couple times a week. What is your, what is your round trip?
2: 72 so, miles door to door.
1: Each way? Yep. Yeah. So you're traveling 144 miles. Correct. That uh, kind of has you beats Sam. Yeah, <laughs> by a
0: long shot. Toyota Corolla that has almost four hundred thousand miles on it, it doesn't really.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but you have a little bit of slice of heaven out in the country, and it and is it doesn't take you long to actually get into the to the field and chase birds around. No,
2: I have a trail from my house. Very <laughs> it's nice. Still been
1: Very lucky nice. there. Um, before we get into rough grouse and woodcock, as we record on, well, this is the first week of September right after Labor Day. Rich, you were in Montana, and I want to I wanna get a field report. And Sam, you leave tomorrow for Montana, and yep. I bet you you want a field report too. <laughs> so let's, let's uh, tell us about um, the opening weekend in Montana for Sharpies and, and Huns. Because, you know, one thing's for certain, it was, it was warm.
2: It was hot.
1: Yeah. I mean, in, here in the Twin Cities, it reached 100 degrees yeah. on Sunday and Labor Day Monday. Um, and I had a bunch of friends out in Montana, and they were talking about being done by 9, 930 in the morning because of the heat. What did you experience?
2: Yeah, it got up into the mid-90s each day. It was a really quick trip for me. I only had three days to hunt. I needed to be back yesterday so I could be in the office today. Um My oldest son is actually getting married next week, so I didn't want to burn a bunch of time. But the prairie from Bismarck West, honestly, is in really good shape. The cover is beautiful. It's green.
1: They've gotten uh, more moisture than that as uh, east of the Missouri. Yeah.
2: So the habitat's in good shape. Bird numbers were good. Um, I went to a brand new area this year, so it was all new. It was a learning experience to me, but. You know, public land? Yeah, thank God for block management, right, okay. and that okay. program, private land access programs there in Montana does a really nice job with those programs. Um, less less agriculture down in the area I, I went this this year compared to other years hmm. when I've been out there, but it was really fun hunting those big blocks of native prairie. Okay. There were good numbers of sharptails, fewer huns down there than typically hmm. where I go, but we still ran into a few coveys each day.
1: Okay. Coveys big or? Yeah.
2: Um, the sharp tail covies. I mean, they're pretty average, I guess, you know, six, eight, ten birds. Okay. Um, the hun covies that we did find were big, hmm. dozen, 15.
1: And were the sharpies what you would expect, like they're getting to adult size or were there some puffballs? Yeah, pop they balls were. Out? Okay. Yeah. So it was were. likely first hatch successes. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, where are you heading, Sam?
0: Uh, to a different area than than where Rich was. But we're, in Montana. But, right? yep, we're heading to Montana. Um, it's also a new area for us this year. Um, we were in more sage country last year, mm. um, and we're going to focus primarily on sharptails and huns this year. So
1: Okay, so you hunted sage grouse last year. Yeah. And no, did you have success?
0: We did, and it was a blast, and I'll, mem- I'll remember those hunts forever. Huh. It was It was really cool. Have you ever hunted sage grouse?
1: I have. You have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, have, I have not. I have not. Um, I, I'm told that it, until you sort of done it a couple times and figure out where the birds are, it's like a needle in the haystack. Um, you have to sort of figure out a water component, and then you can sort of zero in on where they live. And is that accurate, Sam?
0: Yeah, I'd say that's that's definitely accurate. I mean, there were days last year where we were just just walking, it felt like. Mm. Um, but once we started to figure out kind of the habitat that they were they like to be in, mm-hmm. we would find them. Hmm. We would just kind of focus on finding those habitats on Onyx and mark that spot and go check it out. And we oftentimes found birds. <laughs>
1: it, it It's interesting. I, the parallel I see is, you know, for folks that go into the grouse, rough grouse woods for the first time, you know, maybe they grew up on the plains and they go to the woods and you're like, a tree is a tree is a tree
0: right Mm -hmm. and then
1: you're sage grouse hunting and you're like well sage is sage is sage and all i see is the sea is sage but if you developing you start to develop sort of an eye for differences Mm -hmm. then you can figure out what's true about rough grouse and woodcock hunting is probably true in developing patterns in habitat types for sage grouse absolutely Hmm. cool well Uh, Good to hear the bird numbers are are good because I'm heading a little bit east of Montana. I'm going to the North Dakota Sharpie opener. So you're both going to be ahead of me, but I'll get there. (laughs) It's coming. All right. As we we transition to the forest, I want to give a shout out to Onyx, proud national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and a proud supporter of this podcast. You, the listener right now can use the code PFQF at onyxhunt.com and get 20% off your membership right now. And a portion of the purchase will be donated back by Onyx to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's Wildlife Habitat Mission when you use the code PFQF. That's 20% off, and a donation comes back to our habitat mission. So thank you very much to onyx all right the way i'm thinking about this sam for rough grouse um and woodcock season i want to start similar approach to how i've done um similar podcasts around pheasants and quail we'll talk about weather Mm -hmm. and we know it was a whiz bang winter (laughs) (laughs) a while ago (laughs) it feels odd talking about last winter when we're moving from summer into fall but we'll talk a little bit about weather we'll talk habitat and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about upcoming hunting season what's what we can expect and when seasons start um, across some of the states that you represent but let's start at weather you smiled when I said it was a whiz-bang weather, winter weather. And coming from northern Iowa, how long have you lived in Minnesota now?
0: Uh, I've been in Minnesota for seven years. Okay, so, so you've, you've yeah. had
1: polar vortexes by now Yep, at I'm... this point. But it was a pretty severe winter across much of the northern range. And when you think about where rough grouse live in the Great Lakes states, it's even further north than we sit today. Heavy snow, lots of cold, And when we talk about pheasants and quail, that's a tough scenario. When we talk about grouse, it's a different complexion, isn't it?
0: It sure is. Um, So rough grouse are known to snow roost. So that snow actually provides them thermal cover as well as protection from predators. Um, So snow
1: roost for folks that are living in southern Iowa or Missouri Snow roosting means what?
0: So they they dive into the snow and kind of have like 3 to 4 inches of snow on top of them in this little hole and that's a good depth to keep their temperature kind of regulated and it doesn't drop too far below or too and they stay relatively warm in there um but they just kind of cozy up and use the snow as insulation and bury themselves in the snow um you can oftentimes see those kind of snow roost spots if you're out snowshoeing or whatever in the winter um, along kind of the basis of some trees. Um, But yeah, they they use that for for their habitat throughout the winter. So the snow, the big snow this past winter wasn't, wasn't a big deal for them. It was
1: actually an advantage. Yeah.
0: The the native birds are well-versed in, (laughs) (laughs) in Minnesota winters and as well as our other Great Lake regions. So the snow is is good for them.
1: Have you, so on occasion, well, more than on occasion, a lot of times, so rough grouse hunting in the Great Lake states goes through the end of December. Mm -hmm. So you can have big dumps of snow in Christmas and still be legal to hunt birds, (laughs) albeit tough. Have you ever been out grouse hunting where your dogs have pointed a snow roost and have the birds come out of what appears to be nothing? nothing.
0: Yeah, it, it's kind of scary. The no first kidding, time, right? Yeah. The first few times you see it, I mean, because it's like there's absolutely nothing over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of burrow themselves down, so you may not see their entry hole, mm-hmm. but you see the explosion <laughs> hole of where they've gotten up. It's, it's so...
1: Uh, It's just amazing to me when that happens because you get used to expecting a bird to flush out of grass Mm -hmm. or even out of a tree or something, right? But when you're looking at a blanket of unfettered snow, Mm -hmm. right just just absolute blanket of snow. There's no there's no uh, prints, no tracks, not not a wing beat, nothing. And all of a sudden, your dog locks up on point, like, what is going on? And an and explosion out of this. Have you seen It this? truly
2: is an explosion. You're right. That's the best way to explain it, because <laughs> there is snow going everywhere, and the birds flying out, obviously, and the flush.
1: Yeah, it is really magical. I think about when birds snow roost, like, the deeper, the f- the fluffier, the heavier the snow, the better, and what what's actually a bad scenario for for rough grouse is the, a little bit warmer mm-hmm. and to create icy conditions.
0: That crust on top makes it so they can't they can't get in, so they don't have that thermal protection, and they're left to kind of
1: hmm.
0: roosting underneath conifers and things like that, and they don't have near the protection there um, as they do in the snow itself.
1: Hmm. So. Deep snow is good.
0: Fluffy snow is good.
1: Fluffy snow is good. Cold weather, not a big deal if there's fluffy snow. Normally, cold the colder it is, the fluffier the snow is. Right. So it's that little bit warmer, especially if it warms up during the day and then freezes in, in the evening. Mm-hmm. That creates the crust that can be a challenge for them. Absolutely.
2: Is that more common with youper gross?
1: <laughs> Hold my beer. I'm going to try something. <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you and shots fired at 21 minutes on the nose <laughs> all right so let's let's talk about um so so the winter <laughs> you per grouse the winter was pretty good for because it was a snowy cold um take us into spring for pheasant er, for for rough grouse because what we've talked about on the pheasant, in the pheasant and quail range is it's been really pretty much ideal. It's been an early wet spring, which greened the grass up for nesting cover, created it, it, as a catalyst for inse- insect production. And then as birds started sitting on nests, um, it got dry, mm-hmm. which prevented gully washers from washing out nests and you know a lot of successful first attempts. Um, so it's been an ideal scenario for most of the pheasant and quail range. What's it been like for rough grouse?
0: For rough grouse, it's much of the same. I mean, especially here in, in kind of the Great Lakes where we've had, like you mentioned, wet at first and then it was a nice kind of warm and dry. Mm -hmm. Um, so those broods had everything they need. They had the insects from, from that early moisture. Um, and then they had berries as the summer went on mm-hmm. they had everything they needed to to have a successful year so um fingers crossed that we should see that come fall
1: um you, you mentioned um it's, berries make up a big portion of the food source um in midsummer. yep I know I popped open birds an early, uh, you know, opening weekend, and they're filled with bugs, particularly grasshoppers. That becomes a pretty big food source once they're big enough to to capture those grasshoppers, doesn't it? A-
0: yeah, I, I mean, any of those protein sources are are ideal for the rough grouse, um, as they are for for other birds. I mean, mm-hmm. it's always interesting to to pop open a crop and see what these birds are eating and and watch it kind of transition throughout the season Mm, as well
1: mm. do i'm assuming rich you do that you pop open your crops for rough grouse
2: yeah even you know sharp tail hunting just upland birds in general yeah focus on good habitat and then see what they're feeding on when you're there and then that helps you zero in even closer
1: anything that is startling or has startled you when you open up a crop (laughs) like holy cow how did that get in there
2: I had a um, small bull snake and a rooster once. So that was pretty. interesting. I had a
1: garter snake in a rough grouse before. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's what I'm. I I would prefer not to see. <laughs> I'm very curious to open every crop, but yeah. like at the same time, I know that people find snakes in them, and I don't like snakes. Yeah, and so I'd prefer not to see that.
1: <laughs> Wait anything odd you found in inside of a
0: crop? Not really.
1: Yeah. It, 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 there's been. I'm trying to think about, like you mentioned, they're, they're, like so many upland birds, they're opportunivores, Mm -hmm. right? Like they'll acorns, mushrooms, blueberries, dogwood berries, bugs, beetles, grasshoppers, (laughs) snakes. There's just so much that they, if they can get their beak around it, they'll swallow
0: it. Yep, then it's dinner. Yeah.
2: (laughs) You mentioned dogwoods, and uh, this year by me, Dogwood berries are just thick mm-hmm. and um, early season. I mean, if you can find those dogwood berry patches, they're going to be birds around them, I, I think.
1: I agree with you. Dogwoods are in are starting to change colors yeah. too, mm-hmm. so they're really easy to identify as you're approaching. You can see that like ru- that uh, maroon color of the yep. leaves, they're really starting to change already.
0: Yeah, I was just up north l- this past weekend, and things are definitely. The colors are coming already. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: all right. So up north this weekend were you out running dogs looking for birds or were you No, doing... it
0: was entirely too hot for that. Yeah, I suppose it we, was. We we would have right. liked to, but the temperatures were just a little too warm. Okay. So So for folks that are grouse
1: curious, they're they're the listeners from the Pheasant Range or the Quail Range that have you know, I've always thought about going up north mm-hmm. to the north woods <laughs> to chase Rough grouse and woodcock. Um, Describe the type of habitat they should be looking for when they're pointing their family truckster into the woods.
0: (laughs) Sure. So, so there's a couple of great resources out there, like um, the Minnesota DNR in particular, and I believe Wisconsin DNR and some other states have it as well, but um, just on their website have like rough grouse management areas listed. That's a great place to just get an idea of an area to start. Um, and once you get your boots on the ground and start looking at it, what you want to look for is kind of young, thick uh, forest. And it's the kind of stuff that looks like it's not fun to walk through. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, you're kind of in the right place. Right. And ideally, that's kind of at least adjoining or in close proximity to some older forest. Mm. Um the big thing with rough grouse and woodcock is kind of the diverse forest, mm. which is what the Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society really promotes: is healthy, diverse forests. We want to see those young trees. We need those old trees. They all have. They all play an important part um, for the rough grouse. So. Having a mixture of both of those, but really focusing your energy on the stuff that doesn't look like it's fun to walk through Mm. is where you're going to find most of the birds and most of your success.
1: So let's narrow it down a little further. So we talk about young forest, diverse, thick, throw out some species that people can look at. Some aspens,
0: particularly aspen stands, um, poplar stands, things like that are, especially in the Great Lake region, just a honey hole usually Mm -hmm. for, (laughs) for rough grouse and woodcock. And
1: onyx is a tremendous tool to help you locate those because they have a grouse management layer.
0: Yep. They've, they've got a great layer that you can pop on and it's, it's really quite accurate. And like, you can see when some of the most recent forest disturbances were Mm -hmm. when things were like cut Um, all that stuff kind of plays in and you're kind of looking for roughly a 10 year old forest cut That's where you should focus your time. Um, And this time of year, especially when it's hot out, like I like to spend some time looking at Onyx and Mm -hmm. looking at some of those spots and putting a pin like, all right, that's maybe we'll check that out this fall. And then when you get there, you can, I like to change the color if it is good. Mm. Um, or change the color. So to something if somebody bad.
1: were to find your phone, what color would <laughs> it, would indicate good? I, I can't tell you those things. <laughs> those are secrets. <laughs> yeah. well, R- Rich, what would you add on to? Uh, you you've hunted rough grouse and woodcock your entire life and you're what like 75 years old 80? getting there pretty close <laughs> so, looking at it thanks <laughs> so but what would you add on to, to sam to help people zero in on the right location gross hunting
2: makes you age faster yeah. the way it does <laughs> um i re- really like a riparian quarters quarters mm-hmm. adjacent to aspen stands because then you have really got that transition zone covered depending mm-hmm. on their Food sources, so, right? Carrying corridors along like creeks or small edges. rivers or swamp edges, where you have some alder edge transitioning to that uplands, young forests, as Sam was talking about. Mm-hmm. And that way, as food sources change throughout the season, you mm-hmm. have that transition zone where you're kind of always one way or the other, you can go and find food typically. Mm-hmm
1: um it, yeah the onyx is a great tool as you mentioned if you, if you locate those 10 to 15 year old cuts i think about um one person always equated look for aspens the size of a silver dollar in diameter mm-hmm. and then even if you you're, you don't have onyx right in front of you and you use your eyes and you see a stand of aspen the size of a silver dollar in diameter Okay, you're zeroing in on a good place. And Sam, as you mentioned, diversity. Like, if, if it's just a uniform monoculture of aspen, that might hold birds while the leaves are still on. Mm-hmm. But as soon as those leaves fall, there's kind of a the the protection from avian predators disappears. And I've found like grouse move out of those spots personally. Like they go towards what you describe as the more diverse stand mm-hmm. with some conifers mixed in there because they have escape places to go when they see a goshawk above them um that that helps too doesn't it
0: absolutely like again the diverse forests is is key for for the grouse and the woodcock um and rich you mentioned kind of the river river edges and like that's more key for like the woodcock because mm-hmm. it keeps the The soil a little more moist because they're going to poke their beaks down and and dig for the worms.
1: Yep, that that's exact. If your feet aren't wet, you're probably going to have a hard time finding woodcock, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you see people hunting grouse with muck boots on, or those Irish setters that uh, the rubber bottoms, they're they're looking for woodcock too, yeah, right? Because. Um, because like you mentioned, Woodcock have that long beak. They're kind of alien looking birds, but they're digging into the ground to get grubs and worms and, um, which is why they have so many fun nicknames. They sure
0: do. <laughs>
1: Off top of your head, what, are they, what do they,
0: Uh, Timberdoodle is probably the most famous. I've heard them called mud bats. <laughs> um.
1: Worm burglars. No, oh, I haven't heard that one. I like Bog that. Bog suckers. Bog suckers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I I just love them. I love, I do too. I,
0: I, I maybe like them more than I like rough grouse. Do you? Yeah. They're just kind of a cool bird. Yeah. I love the combo. I mean, I, I,
1: I love being in the woods on, you know, like the, the second Saturday in October. And it is like the fruity pebble forest Mm -hmm. right before all the leaves start falling. So it's a little harder shooting, but I'll take the color. But it's beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And if you get, to me, um, like no wind is really important when grouse hunting because being able to locate the flush with your ears Mm -hmm. and just have the leaves sort of falling lightly. And then your dog goes on point and you don't know what it is you could be this looks grousy to me and then (laughs) of course it's a woodcock right Right. describe Sam the flush difference between a grouse and a woodcock because they are dramatically different in my mind
0: yeah I mean a woodcock or I'm sorry yeah woodcock will get up and kind of they kind of sway through the trees and bob and weave and it's it's a lot less like the grouse that that gets up straight away and flies Mm -hmm. flies straight into the into the woods um both are very good at weaving through all of those trees that
1: (laughs) and your shot pattern yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) that that I just look at and I'm like how how can they fly through all of that with such ease especially getting up from a flush Mm -hmm. at such a high rate of speed and taking off like it's just incredible watching both of them um I know the first few times I went grouse hunting I I didn't even shoulder my gun I just watched birds flush (laughs) They're just so quick, and watching them weave through the trees is just something else. But, yeah, the woodcock are a lot more wobbly <laughs> <laughs> in their takeoff.
1: Yeah. It, it, it. Rich, what describe the two in your words.
2: I think Sam did a good job. The grouse gets up and goes, Yeah. and the so woodcock— So like a,
1: a, a chainsaw yep. taken off, right?
2: Yep, and the woodcock dances up through the trees until it gets above the, the overstory, and then— levels off and yeah. goes and if you wait for an open shot you will never shoot
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs>
1: yeah the first I, I took um, my wife Meredith her, her, um, her uncle uh, grouse hunting for the first time after a couple of pheasant hunts and um, grouse a rough grouse got up <clears throat> and flushed through an opening and you know he wanted to shoulder his gun, lead it, <laughs> swing, and it. You know, obviously, never let him do it. He's like, "Gosh, I didn't get a chance. I'm like, that was the best chance you ever got. You ever it was in an opening." Yeah, it's yeah. like really. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta swing away on these birds because you you know like you say rough grouse, like." They're a torpedo taken off, um, generally a little lower. Mm-hmm. I always think about woodcock as a, a tornado, like because you generally get right up close to the flush. Oh, for sure. Closer than you think, because a lot of times your dog will be pointing right off the top of them. They're, they hold as well as Mern's quail, mm-hmm. the two two species that hold super tight for pointing dogs. And you come up really close. So sometimes you can even see that woodcock on the ground, which is the death knell because you're never going to hit that bird. Um, be, uh, honestly, God, if you see it on the ground, you can. Your eyes will never catch up with to be able to make a good shot. In my experience, mm-hmm. but like, you get close to a woodcock, and they, they rather like a grouse will flush out from you a woodcock will flush sort of straight up and start spiraling it yeah as you said what was the word you used a wobbly wobbly (laughs) that's right it's it's like a wobbly tornado going towards the canopy of the trees and like i've screwed myself into the ground trying to track a woodcock as it gets to the canopy and once it gets to the canopy then it like
0: yeah then it, they then they take
1: off so you 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 are trying to get a shot off before it gets to the canopy a because there's trees and <laughs> and, and uh, leaves in the way, but B you know just as they're wobbly, you have that chance to catch up to them. but that that's what's so cool. I here's my baseball analogy for this episode. <laughs> it's like when you're out rough grouse and woodcock hunting you don't know if it's going to be a fastball a rough grouse or the change up slash curve the slurve, mm-hmm. you know of a woodcock and you know the back and forth of it you can you can think you ah I got these woodcock dialed in that a fastball of a grouse comes in that <laughs> you miss that and then the next woodcock you miss that because they're always keeping you off balance and that's part of what I love about it is it's just so different and you just never really know what's going to get up off the point.
0: No, you don't. Um, kind of made me, th- when you're talking about woodcock holding really tight, it made me go back to remembering my short hair was on point and I was walking in expecting a grouse to get up and I was three feet away from him and I was I, looking at the ground and mm. I didn't see anything and didn't see anything and all of a sudden this little woodcock got up real wobbly and almost took my, (laughs) took my hat off. I didn't even get my gun to my shoulder. (laughs) Mm. The dog was not impressed. (laughs) He had held that bird for quite a while and I didn't even take a shot at it.
1: Do your, do your dogs retrieve woodcock?
0: Uh, our poodle pointer does really well with them. Mm -hmm. Um, our short hair prefers to just find as many birds as he can, okay. and it's our job to pick them up. Okay, <laughs> um, and our Griff is kind of hit hit or miss on I, bringing those back.
1: I ask that because even yeah. some of the absolute best retrieving dogs—you you pick the breed—Lab, mm-hmm. short hair, Brittany—no problem retrieving pheasants, rough grouse. But on occasion, there there be a bird dog that's not real keen on on picking up a woodcock they'll if they've been force broke mm-hmm. they'll they'll retrieve the woodcock and get it out of their mouth but they're rich have you encountered this
2: well i don't have a best retrieving dog in my string right now <laughs> none of them really like it very much um, but i would agree with you absolutely when i did force break dogs earlier in my career when i cared more about their their manners um there was something different about a woodcock and some of them for sure some of them did it ambitiously and with joy but the other ones did it because they knew they had to
1: yeah they uh, most of my dogs will pick them up bring them to me and then get it out of their mouth as quickly as possible but me i love eating woodcock like they they get a bad rap for people you know it tastes like flying liver um that's because they're doing it wrong
0: yeah i i think it's the same with with all game birds you hear people say the same thing about sharptail and sage grouse and everything else and it's it's a matter of knowing how to prepare the the meat and woodcock. Their their breasts are are dark meat, mm-hmm. so it's something that you can't overcook. Overcook, or it's going to taste bad. Right.
2: right. So, do you like woodcock, Rich? It's one of my favorite yeah, upland birds to eat. I think the key is plucking them, so you keep that fat oh, layer yeah. under their skin. Yeah. They pluck really easy. Yeah, they do. They. I mean, they there's really no do. and. Obviously, their legs are small, but mm-hmm. that is white meat, and, and it it's is delicious. Terrific. Yeah, it is. So, if you can take the time to pluck them, and then, like Sam said, not overcook them. I mean, yep. cook them like red meat—hot,
1: mm-hmm. um, fast, and medium rare. Yep, mm-hmm. right. And on. they are terrific. Yeah. Um, all right, as as we go towards the state surveys, I want to just talk hunting one more moment, and we'll start with Sam. Give us. If somebody's gonna go rough grouse and woodcock hunting for the very first time, throw out a tip that uh, somebody should have in mind.
0: Sure. So we kind of hit on it a little bit in a roundabout way. My biggest tip is you've got to be quick when the birds get up. You can't be you can't be afraid to shoot. Um, you're going to miss everybody everybody does Mm -hmm. if a grouse and woodcock hunter tells you that they haven't missed a bunch of times (laughs) they're lying to you and Mm -hmm. there's there's plenty of holes and trees (laughs) to prove that uh but yeah you've got to be quick you can't wait for it's not like hunting on the prairie. you can't wait for that perfect opening and get a perfect lead on the bird it's more instinctive shooting and you got to be willing to pull up and yeah and pull the trigger as long as you know it's a safe direction. Take so, the shot.
1: So that's where my mind went to because it is, I think that's a real good advice. Shoot, shoot off and and don't worry about missing. It, it really takes away that, oh, self-consciousness about mm-hmm. me, everybody's going to miss. But the safety component, I rarely will go... Um, rough grouse woodcock hunting with a group bigger than three yeah you know I just think it's it's too challenging to be safe in the grouse woods particularly when the leaves are on right like it's Mm -hmm. it's just a challenge to keep track of everybody
0: absolutely and even when when people are sticking to like hunter walking trails and Mm -hmm. things like that they're made for one two people max to kind of walk side by side through those yeah through those areas and it's it's just so hard to see 40 yards in that you don't know what's beyond a lot of your, your targets. But the nice thing is when you're in the middle of the forest, you're far away from a lot of anything else. As long as you know where the people in your hunting party are, um, you're good. But
1: so the, you mentioned hunting walk, hunter walking trails or logging roads or two tracks a good if you've never done it before a good way to go about it cuz the other intimidating factor about rough grouse and woodcock hunting is you're in the middle of the forest and you can't see your truck the horizon anywhere and obviously most people are going to have Onyx mm-hmm. or gps to get back but you got to make sure you mark your truck and start figuring out how to find your way back but if you're hunting these two tracks or hunter-walking trails, have one person on the trail. And if you have two people with you, so a th- group of three, one person on the trail, and then put one person on each side of the trail. And that allows safety into, in because then everybody sort of parallels the person on the trail, and it also help, prevents you from getting lost. And if you're going to walk that same trail back, it's like an out and back, then two people <coughs> deep on one side – and then go to the end and then come back on the other side of the trail and you're hunting fresh cover and then also not getting lost.
0: Yeah. And is,
1: is that how you do it too?
0: Uh if if we're gonna hunt trails, yeah, we hunt it very similar to that, but a lot of times we're
1: Bushwhacking.
0: Yeah, I'm not afraid to to get in there and find some different areas. Um the big thing is I always have my gps marked Mm -hmm. with the truck i've gotten turned around where i think the truck is i'm confident the truck is one direction and my gps is like the complete opposite Mm -hmm. you just keep walking towards where you've got the truck marked and you might come out on the road 200 yards down from where you parked but
1: the gps is normally right right (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah but that but that's a good point too like once you get comfortable with that um there's no substitute for diving in to the woods as opposed to uh, what's your guess on percentage of people that just just hunt the trails
0: I bet 75%
1: I agree I agree so 25 like one in four groups is going into the woods mm-hmm. so just think about the hunting pressure difference that
0: is Yeah and if they are going into the woods they're going 30 40 yards in
1: mm-hmm.
0: kind of max so if you're willing to get in there a little bit farther Again, as long as you've got a GPS or you're laying tracks on Onyx, something to give you a way back out because it's so easy to get turned around. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'd say go for it and kind of start exploring a little more. Find some of those swampy areas and mm-hmm. some birds that haven't been pressured as much. And
1: Another thing to just tack onto that you could do, use Onyx, find the trail, but then walk you know deliberately two miles back Mm -hmm. and looking at that onyx layer where there is a cutting two miles back and you probably are leaving another 75 percent of the people that hunted from the minute they left their truck and then by the time they get two miles back they're like well we should probably turn Turn around around. head the other way and if you bring a bike or just walk fast to that spot and then hunt again, that's another opportunity to leave a lot of hunting pressure and hunt birds that haven't been pushed around a lot. Yep. Rich, what's a tip or two that you'd like to offer?
2: 75- uh, or 80-year-old people typically use a <laughs> compass still.
1: <laughs> Do you really? I, I yeah, still
2: – I mean, I you love should. I, I love onyx. Yeah, I li- yeah. live with But it. sometimes you're off-grid, right? Yeah. yeah yes, and you absolutely. didn't know you
1: were going to be off-grid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I I have a compass with me, and I've done the same thing. Like, ah, I just don't trust that that's the, that's north. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you look at your phone too, and you're like, yeah, they're both saying it's north. I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've been wrong a lot. Yeah. Um,
2: no, I think early on, um, when the leaves are on the trees. Mm-hmm. The broods haven't been pushed back off of those trails because those trails provide great a, a, edge. I'm sorry, edge and food sources uh, and food sources mm-hmm. because of that. clover. Water. So early season tactic, I think hunting trails is a is a good good um, way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, then as the season wears on, in high pressure areas, those broods are pushed back away from those trails. I'm a firm believer in bushwhacking too. You just find. Such cool places that way. Um, you never go through mm-hmm. even the same hunting spot the mm. same
1: way, I don't think. Mm. Um, do, you have, do you have a favorite time of year to go grouse hunting? Uh,
2: to go grouse hunting, probably the last week of October, first week of November, mm. to me is just a really relax Relaxing time. Yeah, the leaves are down. Um, the woodcock are, are gone, mm-hmm. typically. Um, there's fewer people in the woods because they're starting to think seriously about archery deer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and firearms deer. Yeah, mm-hmm. right on. And um, I just like that time of mm-hmm. year to just concentrate on grouse and be more relaxed. By then my hunting camp, camp is done, mm-hmm. and it's usually just me and my dogs, and I can concentrate on rough grouse. Mm-hmm.
1: What about you, Sam? Do you have a favorite time?
0: Mid-October is my favorite because you can get into that mixed bag, and oftentimes the Woodcock flight is happening, mm-hmm. and it's the Woodcock flight is something spectacular that I think everybody should kind of experience once. Um, it's hard to know the exact timing of yeah. when it's going to happen, yeah. but when you're in the Northwoods and they decide it's time to start heading south, it's pretty special.
1: Yeah, if you uh, can hit a full moon... Mid October in the wood, because generally they they migrate pretty heavily around a full moon, mm-hmm. and you can come into big numbers of woodcock in the right habitat.
0: Yeah, and you can have great numbers one day, and the next day they're, they're gone. gone.
1: <laughs> do you do you have a particular um, hunt or memory about hitting it just right?
0: Um, I'd say last year. Last year was pretty special. I mean our youngest dog our poodle pointer was she's was officially a broke dog last year so very well mannered and took her out my husband and I and um the big flight had gone through and mm. there were just a few stragglers left but man she she just kind of rocked it she was in on point and it was in some thick raspberries and she was kind of tore up a little bit but she just wanted to be out there finding birds and brought everyone back and so it was a good time
1: it it is really special when you can hit it and there's I remember buddy Matt and I again like a two hour hunt we had sixty three pointed woodcock, no lie, and it you know when they're when you're finding them in that numbers you can shoot three woodcock per mm-hmm. person. you can hold out can you, you when you know you hit the day just like, I'm only shooting the, you know, perfect points mm-hmm. in those, mm-hmm. you know, the tornado shots and just like, oh, this is great.
0: <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and
1: tomorrow they're gone.
0: And tomorrow they're gone. But it's so fun watching the the dogs just get so many bird contacts. Mm-hmm. And those woodcocks hold so nice that you've got time to get in there and you don't have to rush too much with the grouse. You got to be a little bit quicker. Yeah. Or they might be gone.
1: So this time of year, you know, we're we're putting together our pheasant hunting forecast for Pheasants Forever and a quail hunting forecast for Quail Forever and everybody's like, well, what's Rough Grouse season gonna be like? And it's it's a little different because the survey data that Rough Grouse um is are measured by is our drumming count. Mm-hmm. So explain what a drumming count is to an audience of folks used to understanding what an August roadside survey is
0: sure so in the spring of the year the male grouse get on a log and they they flap their wings really fast and make a really loud drumming noise that's kind of like a chainsaw um and if you're out there and hear it like you can almost feel it in your chest Mm -hmm. kind of thing it's really deep um but there's there's surveys done on those counting the drum counts um and that just gives us an indication of the number of Males in the area now drumming counts could be up significantly year over year, but that doesn't necessarily correlate to a gangbuster fall. Mm-hmm. uh weather plays into that a lot more, like we talked about earlier. um springs where we get some moisture and there's good insect, there's lots of food available for them, and then it gets warm and dry, and they don't have big storms come. And drown them or
1: mm-hmm.
0: blow down on them like those are the years that typically you see a lot better hunting conditions in the fall so while the drumming counts are are important they don't correlate to what the bird numbers are going to be in the fall a more accurate um number for that would be if there were brood count surveys mm-hmm. um and Rumor has it that the Minnesota DNR is going to start doing some oh, really? some brood count surveys. Huh. Um, it's not going to be a funded project, so it's going to take some time uh, to, to get all the data and things like that. But that's something to look forward to in the future Interesting um, to give us another data point uh, that would be helpful in forecasting what the hunting will be like in the fall.
1: That is, that is interesting because historically, I don't know of any states that do roadside counts for rough grouse, mm-hmm. so that would be a first of its kind, wouldn't it? yeah, cool, and it, obviously, the connection there is the it 's how successful were the um, reproduction that year, which really indicates you know are there new birds being added to the population, mm-hmm. which has happened historically for August roadside counts and pheasants, because it is wide open territory, dewy morning. The hen, pheasant, and the brood, mm-hmm. or or quail, for that matter, Hungarian partridge, can pop out onto the gravel roads and grit and dry off and be witnessed by biologists or rural mail carriers or, or volunteers where that just hasn't been ever employed for rough grouse. So that would be a cool development.
0: Yeah, it would be definitely be exciting. Give us some more data, obviously, mm-hmm. to go off of. Um but at the same time, I mean, the drumming counts are important. They just don't tell you what the numbers will be in the fall.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so as we look at the upcoming seasons, um, we got take us through some of the seasons when they start and you know what uh, what some of the survey data uh, told us.
0: Sure. So Michigan uh, opened September fifteenth. Um, their drumming count survey is. Projecting an average year, but okay. again, that kind of right. depends so on only their the adults coming yep, out of winner. That's just their adults. Uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin grouse both opens on the sixteenth, so next Saturday, mm. it's coming quick. Um, Wisconsin showed numbers were down for this year. Okay, um, Minnesota was kind of mixed in different areas. The northeast and north central drum counts were up. Um, the northwest and southeast drum counts were down.
1: And those were, again, for listeners, just drumming counts. Yep. So it doesn't take into account, as we talked about very early in this conversation, the almost ideal um, spring nesting season condition. So yeah, I, I don't know about what you've been seeing, but when I've been driving around in the north woods, Rich, it looks like it's going to be a good year for grouse hunting.
2: It's always a good year for grouse yeah. hunting, but um, no, I think you're right. I think conditions were as good as they could be, and um, the brood size should have been a good success. Um, nesting success and brood survival should have been good.
1: Yeah. So. But like you say, it's always a good year. Like, yeah. It I, doesn't you know, matter. Like, we're t- going to be two there, Two dogs, <laughs> three dogs. How many dogs do you have right now? Uh, three. Three. Yeah. And Sam, you have three. Three. You're going to go hunting.
0: Yes. Yeah. No matter what. Yep. No, it's always even if even if we don't flush a single bird, it's mm-hmm. still a better day being behind a dog yeah. in the field. So,
1: um it, folks listening, please check your regulations for your state because woodcock season is picked by the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it, it's a 60-day window, is that right? I think that state can pick a season and they can start it based on their preference and Michigan chooses to start it in conjunction with the grouse season opener. Yep. Wisconsin and Minnesota delayed a week.
0: Yep. So the 23rd is when Woodcock opens for both Minnesota and Wisconsin.
1: And, and they all end before firearms deer season gets going. So anyways, check your local state regulations to know that you're doing it legal and you do have to participate in the hip survey Mm -hmm. to be able to hunt woodcock
0: yep because they are a migratory bird
1: yep all right so as we around third base and head towards home um, closing thoughts I'll I'll let rich uh, kick us off here Um, what's your closing thought as you think about the upcoming uh, rough grouse woodcock season maybe a tip maybe a, a suggestion for somebody that's you know, think you for a number of years. You brought um, friends from from our quail forever um, crowd, Georgia, Florida, up to the grouse woods. Anything that you can pass along from what they've learned going grouse hunting for the first time?
2: Uh, first of all, I'd say, I'd say share that experience. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty special mm-hmm. the the woods in the fall, as we've talked about the color, the smell of that autumn woods, um, the rough grouse and woodcock hunting it not everybody gets to experience so that so it's a great way to trade a hunt with someone Mm -hmm. and introduce um some folks that that typically don't get to go and rough grouse and woodcock hunt um so so share the experience um enjoy it i've really made it a point to um, slow down and Mm. watch the sun go down cook an evening meal in the woods have lunch and just really enjoy the whole experience and try and slow slow life down a little bit
1: cuz your grouse camp is a wall tent in the woods
2: yeah exactly um and that and that helps um but even if it's a day hunt you can mm-hmm. throw some soup in a cooler and warm it up at, <laughs> at the middle of the day and have a cup of tea and and, and mm-hmm. enjoy the whole day um other than that get after them. go out and and It's in our backyards here in the Great Lakes regions, and I don't think enough people take advantage of that. I think Hmm. I don't know about you and where you hunt, but there's a lot of room in the grouse woods for more people. Yeah, and it is an underutilized resource, Mm -hmm. Um, and we're we're blessed to have it in our backyards. So if you're a homer, take advantage of it, and if you know some friends from other parts of the country, invite them up.
1: Yeah, that that's particularly true about uh, hunting pressure I, I yeah. rarely roll up to a place I want to hunt and I am encountered by another vehicle it's like it's pretty rare yeah.
0: Um, yeah when you when you're starting to hunt around some of the bigger
1: metro area. metro
0: areas up up north I think you can find some pressure closer to town but if you get out 20 30 minutes mm-hmm. you're gonna find a lot less pressure and there's just so much available public land to get on that there's room for all of us out there right on what's your
1: closing thoughts Sam
0: uh I'd echo what what Rich says like enjoy the the fall the fruity pebble (laughs) (laughs) uh view I like that a lot um and and the other big thing is whatever birds you're going to chase, I think it's important to support the organizations that support them. Right on. um Both RGS and AWS, much like pheasants and quail forever, do a lot in in terms of habitat for these birds. And, and the goal is healthy habitat for generations to come. So a $35 membership goes a long ways. So all of that is, is greatly appreciated and if you enjoy hunting the birds, if you, even if you take a walk once, you've spent $35 on a lot sillier things, I'm sure. <laughs> and you get a great magazine out of it, too. So
1: so make the pitch a little bit further. Tell, tell us the website and how to find a Rough Grouse Society and what comes with membership.
0: Yeah, So roughgrousesociety.org um, in our Upland store is where you find our memberships. Uh, right now, we also have a youth membership drive going on, which is a great way to get youth excited about grouse hunting, specifically. Um, what we did is opened it up for anybody to donate a membership for a youth. So those are $15, and you can go on and you can you can donate memberships for youth, or if you have a youth that you think would benefit from a membership, mm-hmm. there's a spot to go on and claim those memberships as well. Um
1: Okay, cool. So if you have a family of five and you maybe want to get your kids signed up, um, you can go claim a youth membership that somebody else has donated for. Yep, that somebody else
0: has sponsored. um, And then your youth will receive the quarterly magazine. Um, It's a great publication. Um, There's usually a lot of great stories, some tips. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a great publication that's got everything in it. Um, we've got two separate memberships as well. So the Rough Grouse Society is one organization, mm-hmm. and the American Woodcock Society is another, similar to Pheasants and Quail Forever. But we do offer a dual membership, so you don't pay $35 for each. You can pay $60 and get both. So. I'm,
1: a, I'm a dual. Are you? I am. Yeah. Right on. We're, we're both grouse and woodcock. I woodtack. love it. Yeah. Yeah. I got both hats. I got the woodcock hat and yep. the. Grouse. I think yep. you you added them both. Yeah, I sold them to you. Yes, yeah. you did. <laughs> yeah, that was a renewal at yep. the, at Pheasant Fest and the Grouse Trail.
0: Yep, and those those Timberdoodle hats that were so popular are we've ordered back into them. Nice. But every time we get them, they sell out. Sweet. Pretty quickly, so I've there's rumor that they'll be back up soon.
1: <laughs> cool. Uh, if folks want to follow you on Instagram and see how your Montana hunt yeah. went where where can they find you Sam
0: So my Instagram is samsnide5
1: Sam Snide S N Y yep. D the number 5 Yep All right and Rough Grouse Society on Instagram?
0: Yep. Rough Grouse Society is also on Instagram. And again, those mem- youth memberships that I mentioned, the link is in the bio for those. So cool. if you want to check those out, please and do Facebook,
1: so. Facebook. Um, yep.
0: All the socials were on there. Um, please give us a follow. Tag us. Tag the Rough Grouse Society in any of your hunts. We'd love to see your pictures.
1: What's your Instagram handle, Rich? <laughs> 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 I, I stumped you. <laughs> You got me on that uh, one, Bob. Uh, you knew I'd do them. I did know. I did know. Uh, thank you very much for doing this, Sam.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely.
1: Um, Rich, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, folks, please, um, I obviously, would love you to join Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society, great partners in conservation with our organization, uh, part of National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic in the Public Lands Pavilion. Um, go to roughgrousesociety.org, and you can check out um, that youth membership drive that RGS is, is putting on right now as well. And then, of course, uh, please join Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever if you're not already a member. Then you can find us at pheasantsforever.org and quailforever.org. All right, as you listen to this, uh, rough grouse hunting is just a few days away, and I'm going. I'm going way north. I'm going to the, the edge of the Boundary Waters wilderness area um, right on just south of Canada. So hopefully find some rough grouse and maybe even a sprucey, and I'll let you know how it went when the next episode drops. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good, maybe even a grouse or a woodcock will rise. Thanks, folks.